0: Well, we're still in the Gospel of Matthew and will be for a while. Remain standing, if you would, for the reading of the Word. Matthew chapter 6, we're at the portion where Jesus is teaching His disciples. And this, we know, is the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, the prayer the Lord taught His disciples to pray. And since our scripture reading is that prayer, then I invite you to pray along with me as we read that scripture. You may be seated. There is a name to be sanctified. There is a kingdom to come. And there is a will that is to come to pass. These all belong to the Lord. It is his name, it is his kingdom, it is his will. One of the things that's always bothered me, even though I love the things of the Lord, and from a child I have been interested in studying the Word of the Lord, the Holy Scriptures, I have loved going with my father and sometimes the whole family to countless Bible conferences and crusades and church services. I averaged about three a week from the Sunday after I was born until this good day. Um, just love the things of the Lord, and even though I had other intentions when I was younger as a career and prepared for that, I felt the Lord call me into the ministry. And one of the things that I have really dreaded and have not been comfortable with at all in the ministry, and I say one because there are several, <laughs> but one of them is um, presuming to speak about the Lord. You think about that for a minute. Who in the world am I, or any of us really, to stand up in front of people and talk about God and presume to tell people who he is and what he is like, talk about his ways, explain his words, Try to get some measure of his works. And now to talk about his will. There's a very real sense in which our Lord is inscrutable, unknowable. His ways are past finding out. There's a very real sense in which we really don't know very much about the Lord. In fact, the Bible assures us in Deuteronomy, Moses told the people in Deuteronomy, the secret things belong to the Lord. I don't know how many times I've been asked questions. Uh, Why did God do this? Why did God do that? Why did God create Adam if he knew he was going to sin? Why doesn't God make it so that every single solitary soul that's ever lived becomes a believer? Well, I don't have answers to those questions, and I'm afraid not many people do. So when we come to talk about the will of God, that is, why God does things that He does, we have to remember that the secret things belong to the Lord. There's a real sense in which we don't know. But the rest of that verse, Deuteronomy 29, 29, says That the things that God has made known or that he has revealed to us belong to our children forever and ever that we might obey the Lord. So he has told us some things about himself. He has revealed himself, his will, his ways, his works among the son of men. Just because we cannot know everything about God does not mean we cannot know something about God. And the Bible tells us that just opening our eyes, looking at the vastness of the created order, tells us at least something about the eternal God and His power and His might and His wisdom. But then beyond that, He reveals Himself. He reveals Himself to us through the prophets. And in these last days, that is the days since the coming of Christ, he's revealed himself through an express image, an exact representation, a true image of God, and that is Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God. So we can know some things about God and about his will. Now, notice there's a whole page in your bulletin for taking notes. And I never encourage you to take notes because I'm never sure anything I say is worth writing down. I don't write it down, so why should you? <laughs> but I think it might be helpful if you'll at least sketch three or four words down in some place on this. The reason I say that is because we're going to speak for just a moment a little bit about, and very, very briefly, about the will of God. The Scripture says... Your will be done, or your will come to pass, or your will be accomplished. In other words, that which finally gets done and comes to pass and eventuates in actuality is what God wanted to happen. One way or the other, it's the way God wanted it to turn out. And so that's the will of God, and it's, it's difficult to understand. And the reason is because the will of God, like God himself, is so incredibly deep and mysterious, but there are at least uh, three or four ways that the will of God can be understood as, and I don't know what to call these aspects of the will of God, or facets of the will of God, or dimensions of the will of God. God's will truly is one. There's one God, and He has one settled, completed outlook, disposition, determination to make things come out a certain way and to have things unfold the way He wants them to. And we are in submission to that will. We know that will will be done. And when we call upon God and say your will be done, we are lining up with the will of God. We are saying out loud, we know God in His sovereignty and in His determinative power. And his exercise of his attributes across all of creation and across mankind in the history of the world will cause things to work out according to the way he wants things to finally end. And we're getting on board with that. We're lining up with God's will. We're saying, Lord, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven in the entirety of God's creation. But theologians have sort of delineated various viewpoints and aspects concerning the will of God, and I'm going to briefly list them for you and try to explain a little bit about them. Um, The most recent things I looked at to check this out was, I remember about 30 years ago, listening to R.C. Sproul. I was out cleaning swimming pools and and doing my job, and I, I wore out I don't know how many little, little Radio Shack uh, radios. And hang them on my belt, and then drop them in a swimming pool, and then have to get another one. And, and run through a stack of batteries. But I listened to good Christian radio almost all day long while I was out cleaning pools and servicing. And uh, then when I didn't have a good radio program to listen to, I had a little little cassette tape player. It was the same thing. It was a Radio Shack model, and it would uh, play what we needed, and then you could put a cassette tape in there with batteries, and I could listen to the tapes from all the different places. Mount Olive Tape Ministry, I mean, that's one of the places I remember getting tons and I used to get them in, in boxes a dozen at a time, and you know, just listen to the best you've ever heard in, in preaching and teaching. And so R.C. Sproul, I remember on the radio one day, delineated this, and it stuck with me. It stuck with me mainly because he had it kind of alliteratively lined up in terms of, of the letters. Two of them started with D, and two started with P. And so I was able to kind of remember it. And then just uh, a day or so ago, I was looking through some of my old commentaries on Matthew, and John Broadus, the great Baptist New Testament theologian that probably was one of the, along with his son-in-law, A.T. Robertson, the Greek professor, were probably two of the most influential uh, scholars in the in the Baptist life and community in terms of understanding the uh, Came up with had the same uh, Delineation of the will of God and so and, and I've seen it in in systematics over the years been and, and none of this will be new to you But let me just kind of sketch it together when we think about the will of God. We're thinking about at least four aspects or four facets of the will of God One is his purposive will, his purposive will. That is what God chooses or wills or determines to do. Another is the prescriptive will, just like a prescription, a prescriptive will. This is what God requires of us. This is his will of God as to what we should do and be. And then his dispositive will, that is his disposition. This is what the Lord, according to his heart, wants and prefers and would be happier with concerning all things. And then there is the permissive will, that is what God allows to occur. So if you're writing those down, it's his purposive will. What God determines to do, his prescriptive will, what God says he wants us to do, his dispositive will or his will of desire, that is, what he wants, what he prefers, and his permissive will, that is, what God allows to occur. Now, any time we sort of do things, we become uh, a reduction to absurdity almost. There's so much more and so much nuance and facet to any of these. But let me give you just kind of a broad uh, idea and example of what these would uh, be like if we see them in Scripture. God's permissive will is His determinative will. It's His decretive will. It's what He said, I have said it and it will come to pass. It is what God is determined to do. It's what God says I'm going to do. And he does it. And he does it exactly like he says. It comes out exactly like he wants to. And none can stay his hand. Nothing in heaven and earth can stop him from doing that which he determines he's going to do. This is the will of God that reveals things. It's the will of God that makes things known, that announces things. It's the will of God that has a plan and a program and a purpose. It's the will of God that shows forth the glory of God in His great works in creation and providence. It's the will of God that demonstrates His grace, not just His glory, but His grace in all ways. In every facet of His grace, His love, His mercy, His goodness, His long-suffering, His forbearance, His kindness. God decrees it. I said it, and I will do it. And this is the will of God that we read about that is determinative. And yet, he's not the author of sin. And he allows things to work them way, them out their, their ways out with secondary and tertiary causes. This is the way God makes this go. The second is God's prescriptive will. This is God's prescription for our way of living. God has made his will known. What shall we do? How shall we please God? God says, here's a set of commandments, statutes, judgments. Here's a set of cases that I give to you that helps you to understand what my will is for you and what I want you to do. It's the law. It's God's will made known. It is good, perfect, acceptable, it says in the Scripture. This is God's demands and commands. This is what is required of us. This grows out of God's nature. And as He sets forth His holiness code in commandments, it is a reflection of His holiness That is intrinsic to Him. Want to know what God's like? You want to know what God wants us to be like? Like Him in His image? Then that's that will of God that's set forth. So when we preach and teach law, we're teaching that which is good and positive. We're teaching that which God wants us to know. We're marking out a standard that God wants us to live up to. So that's the prescriptive will of God in summary. The other is dispositive will of God. That's a disposition. This is the Lord's desire, what he wants and what he prefers. He tells us where he stands, what he prefers. For example, the Lord says that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's his dispositive will. His will, in this sense, is what he prefers. It's what he says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Why will you die, O Israel? He wants all men and women to repent. He wants all to come to the truth. God's goodness overall is part of a, a desire that everybody be where they need to be. God is not the author of evil. And He is not the one that causes the dire curses and the deleterious results of life to come upon us. They're intermediate things. And yet God says, I don't want all of that. I don't want the death and the destruction that's in the creation. But yet here it is. And this brings us to one final dimension to the will of God and that's His permissive will. That's what God allows to occur. Don't ask me why. Because if I give you an answer, it's not going to be any good. And I'd just don't know why. For example, why did God permit the angels to fall? In His eternal glory with the throng of angels at His service, nevertheless He allowed and permitted, as it were, stood there and let it happen. I don't know why. What's worse Is why did he allow mankind, Adam, to disobey, to sin, and to fall? I don't know. It's fun to speculate, but it's not necessarily truthful, because we don't know. This is that will of God that allows things to occur according to secondary and tertiary causes, second and third causes. And God allows things to continue going in a bad direction. It's His His will. If these things are happening beyond His control, He's not sovereign. He's in control. But he's letting this stuff take place. Now most people when they think about the will of God, they, they love speculative theology. They love to search the scriptures to learn all they can about God. But let's just face it, most of us want to know, what's the will of God for my life? What does God want me to do with my life? I, don't, I can't recall how many times that was the subject of sermons back when I was in Youth for Christ and some of these organizations when I was younger looking at young people in their teens and 20s. What are you going to do with your life? What does God want you to do with your life? What is God's will for your life? And so you sit there as kind of a tabula rasa, a blank slate, waiting for God to get the chalk and write out the instructions on your life. And God does that. I believe He helps us understand His will for our lives as we submit to Him and follow Him, become more like Him, Closer communion with God. Closer walk with God. But these things I just mentioned will tell you most of what you need to know. You need to recognize God's determinative will. That He's going to do certain things. And as I'll say in just a moment, you better be glad He does. It's God's prescriptive will. One thing we know God wants you to do with your life is keep the commandments. To obey Him. To walk in obedience. To walk in the light. To walk in faithfulness. To love Him. To serve Him. If you do that, you're going to be pretty much okay, no matter what you do by way of a vocation or a career. Your life will not be wasted if you simply walk in the precepts of the Lord. Most of what I say to young men when, I say, when they say, what is God's will for my life? I say, well, there's one verse that says, this is the will of God for you that you flee fornication. There's a good start right there. That's what God wants you to do with your life. That's His will for your life. But then we also come to these things of His dispositive. What is the heartbeat of God? What is He interested in? He wants us all to come to the truth. He wants us all to be saved. He wants us all not to perish. So what means and what attitudes do we need to have? Should we be searching? Should we be seeking God with all of our hearts? Should we be taking Measures of the means of grace. Should we be hungering and thirsting after righteousness? And then finally, the permissive will of God helps you say something about God's will. He will let you mess up. I'm a walking, talking testimony to how the Lord has left me to my own will. And I've had to pay for it for decades, maybe still in some ways paying for it, but he's a loving Heavenly Father for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son that is his. And ultimately the Lord will move us into his will. Let me sketch through in just a moment that we have here to talk about God's will in redemption. That's God's will in your life. What about God's will in redemption? Let's look at a few of these features. First of all, in redemption, God decrees it. His purposeful will. God has a purpose in grace. God says, I am going to save the race. I am going to save humanity. I am going to save mankind. When Adam sinned, he destroyed the entire race. Everybody born in Adam has been born into a state of death and darkness, and depravity, and left alone with God's permissive will, backing away, doing nothing, every single solitary soul that's ever lived will die and will go to hell. Will die. The soul that sins, it shall die. The wages of sin is death. And go to hell. And suffer the condemnation and the penalty for Going their own way. So if God has no decretive will, there will be no salvation. Everybody that's born will die and go to hell. But God has a decretive will. He says, I'm going to save the species. I'm not going to let humanity perish from the creation. I'm going to save in a second Adam the species, the race, when you read practices in the Bible talking about God love, that's what he's talking about. He loves the whole, the mass, the world. And he does so by exercising his saving, loving grace over that. He decrees it. Then he commands. He gives laws and stipulations. He sets out covenant promises and covenant curses. And we, we've been through that before so much. But then God's will is prescriptive over all. When you read a commandment in Scripture, that's for you to obey. It's also for the worst sinner out there to obey. It's also for anybody on planet Earth to obey, and it's for any level of government or any socioeconomic group to obey. God's prescriptive law is over all, and that's the standard by which all will be judged on judgment day. I've heard some people say, well, you know, the Ten Commandments don't apply to Gentiles. You know, just apply it to Israel. No, no, that's God's moral standards that will be the standard of judgment. And all fall in sin and fall short of that. So God's prescriptive law is involved in redemption. God's dispositive law, He desires to save mankind. His grace, love, and mercy is over the race. And his permissive will is involved when he allows some, quite a few. In fact, they make up a large mass walking down a broad road when he allows them to reject him. There is no reason under the sun to reject God's love in Christ, there's no excuse for it, there's no reason. The gospel has gone to the ends of the earth. The conscience of the heart has been stirred. God calls with an outward call to every single soul. God demands every person everywhere to repent. That's the first. But he actually allows. God actually allows people to reject him to trample underfoot the blood of Christ, to walk away from the gospel, to ignore Him, to blaspheme Him, to curse His name, to shut Him out of their mind, to walk away and stay away, to engage in every vile affection. God allows it. The permissive will of God ought to scare you to death. But the thing that will bring comfort to you is the decretive, purpose, will of God. God is determined to save some. He's not going to let the race perish. He's not going to let it go into oblivion. And if He didn't do this, if He didn't place His affection upon some, and draw some to Himself, and regenerate them by His Holy Spirit and give them repentance, grant them repentance, and give them faith, which is not of yourselves, faith is a gift of God, and draw them to Christ, and save them. If God didn't do that, because He's determined to save the race, He's determined to save the people. Is everyone saved? No. And if it wasn't for God's determining, electing, choosing, overt, active, determinate will of God, nobody would be saved. Let me just point to one couple of things that I'm done. The first place I want to point you to is Gethsemane. Gethsemane was where Jesus about to drink the cup of wrath and die the death that was literally in the place of substitutionary, vicarious death for the people that God had given him about whom he had prayed just a few hours earlier in the upper room. He's now going to drink the cup for them, bear the penalty for them, save them by His grace. And he asked the Father, Can we change our minds? And the determinative will of God says we're going to go through with this. And Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. There's the will of God in the most positive light you'll ever see it. The Son of God willfully laying down His life to save His people. Let me point you one more place. Pentecost. Pentecost. Peter, standing up preaching to the multitude, especially those who had crucified Christ and he says to them, you by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God have crucified and slain the Son of God. That's how determined God was to save you. He put it as part of his decretive will that he would save and that crucifixion worked its way out exactly but the men had every wicked hand and every foul motive acting totally within their own human will doing what they desired with all their heart yet they were carrying out the will of God not just the will of God in a circumstance but the will of God for a purpose you by wicked hands have crucified and slain him according to the determinate counsel of God But God raised him up.